fans opinionated analysis of every kiss release i am your host ryo b and i thank you for taking the time to join me today for this episode here in kiss 78 so before i get into this bonus episode if you like the podcast please subscribe if you haven't already done so please leave a review on itunes positive reviews and subscriptions help other kiss fans to find this podcast if you have any comments you want to provide any feedback or just want to reach out to me you can reach me at psycho circus podcast at gmail.com that's psycho circus podcast at gmail.com you can also follow me on Twitter. I am at RyoV. That's at R-Y-O-V-I-E on Twitter. Uh, so today's communication, this is usually where I read an email, talk about a tweet. Um, I'll read a question that's been asked or slip in some other sort of KISS news or KISS-related news. But however, it's a bonus episode. I'm going to skip over today's communication um, and get right into the episode. But please, keep those emails and tweets coming. So as I was developing this podcast, I just I, I kind of felt a need that there there are certain years in a history of Kiss that really highlighted because they're standout years and they serve a uh, distinct uh, purpose and um, a distinct just defining moment in in history, if you will. And um, you know, throughout the band's career, there are years that uh, major events happened, like 1996 because of the reunion tour, um, you know, 1982, uh, 83 rather, when they took off the makeup. So there's certain years throughout the history of KISS that are just really standout important years. And I felt it would be good for this podcast to throw in some bonus episodes that hone in on those specific years and talk about the events that were going on as we get ready to review the uh, upcoming albums and... Uh, other releases from that year kind of set the stage for what's to come so the the first bonus episode you're getting here at the psycho circus podcast is the year in kiss 1978 and i just felt that this was the first significant year in kiss that really needed to be called out on its own so um you know by 1978 kiss was without a doubt the hottest rock and roll band in the world uh they were possibly the hottest band in the world they were kings in the mountain. They were money-making machines. Fame, fortune, fans had all found their way to this band. And by 1978, there was no band bigger. You couldn't find a bigger band than Kiss. Everyone knew Kiss. Whether they loved them or hated them was irrelevant. Everyone knew them. Everyone knew Kiss. Uh, and marketing had a big hand in that. Kiss was everywhere, and they were hawking everything. 
uh, dolls, games, trading cards, comic books, magazines, and on and on and on. You couldn't get away from Kiss in 1978. Uh, the dolls were one of the biggest things, and they really were dolls. Now we call them action figures or figurines or something else more manly. But, but in 1978, they were they were Barbie dolls with with Kiss makeup on, and you know, man bodies, so they're Ken dolls with Kiss makeup on and Kiss costumes. That's their, that's what they were. Um, you know, the Mego. Kiss dolls, which now uh, in a package sell anywhere between, you know, depending on the condition of the package, you can get anywhere from 150 to 400 dollars per doll if it's unopened. I mean, I've seen ones out of the package, um, missing their costumes that were selling for 50 to 75 dollars at a convention. So you know, they were uh, collectible items because at the time in 1978, people really didn't think to hang on to them and keep them in prestige condition like you know collectors do with all their stuff nowadays. Back then, you know, it was. The kids who had the dolls, so they took them out of the package and they played with them and they posed them and they, uh, you know, I had them doing a uh, Kiss rock and rock and roll concert. So that got rid of a lot of the existing uh, merchandise, and so whatever's left that's in good condition is rare because you know supply and demand. There's there's um, not a very large supply, and um, I think there's still a pretty good demand for uh, Kiss dolls in their packages. And dolls weren't the only thing that uh, Kiss had going on merchandise-wise in 1978. Um, they had a line of trading cards, and this was about the time when Star Wars trading cards were really taking off and being hot. Um, you know, baseball cards had always been hot, but like movie and TV trading cards were still kind of new to the fold. So when Kiss came out with their trading cards, you know, that was a big thing. And so um, those are... The first series is is a pretty good collector's item as well. Um, and then there was the comic books and the magazines. You know, Kiss was in all the magazines because people wanted to see what the band looked like. Um, you know, and by that point, if you could get a photo of the band without makeup, you were going to make huge money because that was the big thing. You know, we got to hide behind the paint, and when we're out in public, we got to hide our faces because nobody can really know what we look like behind the makeup. So, um and then, of course, the Marvel comic book, which we'll get into uh, a little bit more, is um, you know was was a really big thing for Kiss, is that they were in a comic book that was printed in their own blood. And, and like I said, we'll get into that a little later in this episode. And then uh, the lunch boxes. I remember having a Kiss lunch box when I was uh, when I was younger. It's probably used, got it at a garage sale. I don't think I got it brand new because I always had peanuts lunch boxes. That was my thing. Um, you know, but friends had Kiss lunch boxes, and eventually, I'm sure I had a Kiss lunch box box for a year or two. Um, those little metal lunch boxes that you took to school that were real metal that rusted on the inside with the thermos, you know, and the thermos had like the Kiss logo on it. And those lunch boxes are worth a few hundred bucks too. Again, if they're in good condition, you have one from that era. Like I have a replica, a live lunch box from the 90s. It's not worth a nickel, but it's cool, and I have it because you know it's one of my collector pieces. I'm I'm glad I have it because I I like it. I liked all that stuff. Um, you know, and in the 70s, I didn't hang on to this stuff. I got rid of it all when, by the time I got into junior high school and moved on to other things. So, you know, I wish that I still had it. KISS had a game out in 1978, and, and I had that game. It was a KISS board game. And 
you know, because I was getting into the band at the time, I, I think I purchased it at a yard sale, and I wish I still had this, and even if it was in terrible, beat-up condition, which by now it probably would be, I would love to be able to still have that original KISS board game somewhere in my collection, just because, you know, it was cool, it reminded me of my youth, and also I'd like to remember how that game was played, I'm sure I could look it up online, maybe see a video about it, but it's not the same, I'd like to, you know, unfold the board, hold it in my hand, um... And play with that. And then, of course, uh, color forms. There was, uh, you know, Kiss color forms. I had a lot of color forms as a kid. I don't know for sure if I had Kiss color forms, but I know I had Super Friends color forms. I know I had Peanuts color forms. I may or may not have had Kiss color forms. But again, all that stuff now, um, you know, so many years later, 40 years later, would be really, really cool stuff to have. Um, so prior to 1978, KISS ended 1977 by being voted the most popular band in America in a Gallup poll. Um, the band also performed five sold-out shows at the Budokan Hall in Tokyo, Japan, and that broke the previous record that was held held by the Beatles. And if you think about it, that's a very significant mark in a career. You broke a record that was held by arguably the biggest band of all time, the Beatles. And Kiss did it by having five sold-out shows at Budokan. Um, between 1976 and 1978, the band earned $17.7 million from record royalties and music publishing. Uh, and, and in 1970s, $17.7 million uh, is a ton. I don't know the exact equivalent, but probably the equivalent of almost $100 million, uh, by today's dollars. Um, and then at the end of 1977, the band released Alive 2, which went platinum. So that added obviously added uh, more to their, to their take-home tally. And with all that going on, and all that success, and all that money being earned... The band was on the verge of breaking up. Peter and Ace were not happy at all. Uh, they wanted a change. They wanted to record solo albums, and they wanted to leave Kiss. All this while the band was at their commercial peak. Kiss merchandise was everywhere. It had become a substantial source of income for the band. Uh, they were loved. They were known. And the fans had no idea that all this turmoil was happening behind the scenes. And, you know, I'm pretty sure Kiss and, and management and record company wanted to keep it that way. Nobody wanted to let anyone know that there was turmoil going on. As they wanted to keep the cash cow running. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the Alive 2 podcast, Ace didn't even play on any of the studio tracks except for his own, which was Rocket Ride. Bob Kulik came in and played lead guitar for three of those tracks, while Paul Stanley handled all the guitars um, for the cover song, Any Way You Want It. And while their popularity was at an all-time high... Internally, the band was falling apart, and something had to be done. So as a stopgap, <clears throat> the record company, Casablanca, uh, released Double Platinum in April of that year, April of 1978. It was the band's first of many <laughs> compilation albums, um, and it contained 20 songs from the first six studio releases. Now, it would take quite a few years before they, the band started really churning out compilation albums on a regular basis, you know, like, like today, in 2018, there's way too many Kiss compilations. 
But when um, Double Platinum came out, it was the first, and then the next one wouldn't be until Killers, which was um, a European-only release. So technically, the next one for America wouldn't be until 1988 with Smash Strash and Hits, 10 years later. So, you know, for for the earlier part of the Kiss's career, they didn't churn these out a lot, but later in the career, that's all they do is is release greatest hits and and i'll get into that in the double platinum episode and and other compilation album episodes as as time goes on um the original packaging on double platinum didn't even have the tracks listed um but that didn't matter it was kiss and fans were gonna buy it um and like i said i'll cover double platinum in depth on the next episode of the psycho circus podcast so then after Double Platinum, there there came the solo albums. And the legend goes something like this. I'm paraphrasing. I'm pulling from uh, my memory, my recollection of all the things I've read over the years and videos I've seen. So to the best of my ability, this is how I remember the story. So Peter and Ace were upset and fed up. And uh, they didn't want to be in Kiss anymore. And they approached Gene and Paul and said, look, we're done. We want to go. We want to record solo projects. We don't want to be in KISS anymore. Now, supposedly, Paul Stanley said something like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, we're all tired. Why don't we all do a solo record? We can all name our albums KISS, and we can dedicate them to one another. uh, And we can have them all released on the same day. And that had never been done before, and it was an ambitious idea. Uh, it also showed that the band's egos were as inflated as their fan base and their income. Multiple solo albums were probably going to sell, but at what cost to quality and at what cost to the band's legacy? Um, I will cover each solo album in upcoming podcasts, all part of the 1978 year. Um, so those will be covered in depth as well as um, the best of the solo albums, which was a European import, but I'm going to cover that um, in, in its own episode also. Um, and there were some gems on those solo albums, and then there were some duds, mostly on Peter's. And like I said, it was an ambitious, if not stupid, idea. Um, and the solo albums would all be released on September 18, 1978. All four solo albums were released on the same day and all shipped platinum because it was KISS. And KISS sold records. Which is funny when you think about it because th- three years earlier, or it was, well, four years earlier... Kiss didn't sell anything. They didn't sell records at all. And now here we are in 1978, and Kiss was synonymous with album sales. And uh, as if the solo albums weren't enough, Kiss also appeared in Marvel Comics. Now, this started with an issue of Howard the Duck. Uh, the band appeared in, <clears throat> I don't know the, the issue number, but in an issue of Howard the Duck which was Marvel's quirky, you know, duck superhero comic, um, which became its own movie in the 80s. And I don't know, it just never had a lot of success at Marvel, but it was its own, like, unique, different type of comic book. Um, So Kiss was able to appear in that. And then the band went on to get their own Marvel comic, and that was uh, printed in the band's own blood. And, man, does that sound cool or what? This Kiss comic was printed in Kiss blood. How fabulous is that? 
Although years later, when I got a peek behind the curtain and I found out how it was really done, I saw that it was all just another marketing gimmick. You know, still pretty cool, but not quite what I had originally envisioned. You know, I envisioned that this was printed in the band's blood and vials of their blood and gallons of their blood had spilled out of them so that they could print this uh, Kiss comic book. But in truth, they all took a vial of blood and poured it into the ink that mixed it together. Um, and then, you know, that printing ink went on to print the comic book. So it's, it's not, it's not, um, untrue that the comic was printed in the band's own blood. It's just stretching the truth a little bit, maybe massaging it a little bit. But again, that's all, that's all marketing really is, you know, we massage things to make them sound better than they really are. So the first issue of the Kiss comic book was released in 1977. It was like the Marvel super special featuring Kiss. Um, but the band also would appear in another issue in 1978, which was an, an issue about the occult. Um, I have a reprint of that comic book, of the original uh, special, super special 1977 comic book. I have it somewhere in my collection. I read it once. I don't remember it being all that memorable. I did consider doing a review of it for its own podcast episode, but I just didn't think there was enough there to get an entire episode out of it. And, you know, my forte isn't really reviewing written works, um, even though it's graphic novel or, you know, comic books. There's a lot of visuals there. It's not really, I don't know, it's not in my specialty wheelhouse, so kind of scrapped it for now and uh you know maybe one day as a bonus episode if if anyone clamors for it loud enough i'll come back and uh and do do a, a podcast a psycho circus podcast episode on the kiss comic book so you know if hey if that's something you you want to see if that's something you want uh, yeah, an episode about please email me tweet me um get a hold of me and uh, let me know that's what you want and i'll be i'll be happy to uh put it together but right now i was just thinking you know it wouldn't I wouldn't be able to do it justice at this point in time, and honestly, I don't know if people really want it. So, again, if there's enough demand, I'm happy to put it together. So, compilations, comic books, and uh, solo albums weren't enough for the band in 1978. They also released a made-for-television movie special, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. And I will cover that in detail on an upcoming episode. Um, I believe it's the four solo albums, nope, double platinum, and the four solo albums, the best of the solos, and then I think the Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park episode uh, will be done. So coming soon, you know, we'll, we'll have it out before spring is over. So, so something just something to uh, look forward to. Um, but I will tell you this much, spoiler alert, this could be the worst thing ever made for television. Um, this movie was horrendous. And while it still has a cult following, it was a complete mess, and it was an absolute joke. Um, it's very hard for me to sit through the entire episode, or um, the entire movie, um, even though I own two copies on VHS and one on DVD, which is the one that was included in uh, Kissology Volume 2. And I'm going to be honest, 
I am not really looking forward to rewatching this for the upcoming podcast, but I know that I must. The sacrifices that I make for you folks. <laughs> so the movie first aired um, on NBC on October 28th, 1978, Halloween season, perfect timing. And like everything else Kiss did during the time, it was deemed a success. Um, and although... The band members and a lot of fans hated it after it was released. It definitely, no doubt, helped fuel the KISS hype machine. And I'll go into this more when we get to this to that episode on you know, KISS um, meets the Phantom of the Park. I actually remember watching this as a child on TV because my parents wanted to see it. So I remember sitting with them because, you know, they were making it all exciting and, oh, we're going to watch, you know, Kiss on TV. And, um, you know, this is before I had gotten Destroyer. Um, I was, you know, four, well, five years old at the time. I just turned five. So this was before I got into Kiss, but I do remember sitting down and watching this on TV with my parents. I just remember it was exciting because it was, it, they were watching this band called Kiss. And, you know, I watched a little bit of it, and I'm sure I was bored, and then I went off to do whatever, something else in my room, or maybe I went to bed, depending on what time it came on TV. It might have been my bedtime. But I do remember that experience um, with this being on the TV. And that's the point of Kiss in 1978. You know, they were huge and everything they did turned to gold, even a dud like their made-for-TV movie. And again, I'll get into that in more detail when we cover that episode. 1978 ended with a bang for the band. Um, They had released a Greatest Hits record, They had a second Marvel comic book. They had a line of Kiss dolls. They had endless other merchandise, you know, as I previously mentioned, lunchboxes, board games, etc. Four solo albums and a made-for-TV movie. All of these things were successful in the public eye, but none held the level of success of all the previous Kiss releases. Um, the solo albums ultimately flopped. Tens of thousands of each album was returned to the record company and or thrust into the discount bins. And that was only a few months after they were released. Three or four months later, all the record stores saw that these albums weren't going to sell. And they wanted they wanted to get some of their money back for it. So they sent them back to the record company or they, cut, they did a cutout and put it in the discount bin. You know, they wanted to recoup some of the cost. Um, the second comic did not sell as well as the first. Um, you know, the sales were less than half of the first one. Um, and the made-for-TV movie, it was ultimately panned. So, you know, 1978 saw Kiss go from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the valley. And the band, they needed to get back into the studio, and they needed to make another hit record. After everything that had happened, after all the turmoil, the release of the solo albums, this big flop of a TV movie, you know, Kiss was crashing. They were crashing and burning, and they were crashing and burning fast. And yes, the hype was still there, and the Kiss was still there, but it it was starting to fade. And one more failure was going to push them to the bottom. And something else was going to come along and take that top spot away from them. So really, Kiss really needed to get into the studio and make another hit record. Uh, Unfortunately, they went in and they recorded Dynasty. 
Now, obviously, I will cover that album in its entirety on an upcoming podcast, but Dynasty was not the album the band needed to save them. And that album wouldn't come for a few years. Um, you know, that that wouldn't come until Creatures of the Night. By then, the entire dynamic of the band had changed drastically, and it was no longer the kiss that we all uh, we all knew from from 1978. So while 1978 may have started as Kiss on top of the world, um, as I mentioned in the Alive 2 episode, an era of Kiss ended with the second live album. Uh, Dynasty would would prove to be a struggle to record. It would be the first studio record that didn't have all the original members playing all of their instruments, because Anton Figg would play drums, not Peter. And by the end of 1978, the downward spiral had started, and things weren't going to get any better for the band for a number of years. So the era of KISS, as we all knew them, ended in 1978. Honestly, it ended with Alive 2, but there was still enough to carry the band through 1978. You know, Double Platinum came out. The four solo records came out. Um, excuse me, the TV movie came out. So there was still enough hype to keep them on top of the mountain. They were still in your face, all the merchandise and marketing. Kiss was still in your face. But really, by by the end of 1978, the cliff was there, and and the guys were about to to walk off it. And so they weren't going to be the same band anymore. And I will cover all of those things on the next few episodes of the Psycho Circus podcast. So that's kind of why I wanted to pull this bonus episode together. Kind of talk about what's coming down the road, you know, what we're going to cover here. And, you know, as we really focus in on the year 1978, a lot of things, a lot of episodes are going to be um, within the year 1978. Like the next six episodes of this podcast are all center around one year because so many releases came out and that's why I thought this was a significant enough year to do the first bonus episode so hey you know as always thanks for listening thanks for listening to this bonus episode um I appreciate that and um you know on the next episode we'll get back into the full album analysis that you've come to know and love um if you have a comment that you want to share again you can email me at psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com if you know if you like these bonus episodes let me know if you don't like them let me know I do plan to do a few more again just kind of hitting those really significant years in Kiss's history um, but there will be a few more uh, bonus episodes coming up in, in later episodes down the line so please be sure to go to iTunes and leave a review every review helps and if you haven't done so already please subscribe to this podcast both of those things can really help other fans find this podcast and if you really like it spread the word post it on Facebook tweet it out on Twitter um, you know whatever whatever Instagram whatever social media tools you use to help spread the word I, I would greatly appreciate it um, you know I just want as many kiss fans to find this podcast and to listen to this podcast as possible um, you can also check out my written works on that rock and roll guru blogspot.com that's rock and a n d roll guru at blogs.blogspot.com, R-O-C-K-A-N-D, 
R-O-L-L-G-U-R-U.blogspot.com. That covers my written works, which is, um, you know, obviously there's some KISS covered in there, but it's it covers a lot of other things as well in the world of uh, just rock music in general. So um, be sure to tune in next time where I cover double platinum. And until then... Man, that's not good.